Welcome to Crohn's and Colitis Perspectives on ReachMD. This series is produced in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, providing updates and driving innovation in IBD research, education, and clinical support. Okay, Adam, thanks for chatting with us about travel and IBD. I think it's a topic that is not often discussed, and a lot of people may have some anxiety about sort of what to do if you're going to take a trip and you have to worry about your medicines or if you're going to have a flare and things like that. So appreciate your time. First, I just want to start with a question about sort of general recommendations. What would you tell one of your patients with Crohn's ulcerative colitis who's going to go on a trip? How do they prepare? Thanks again for having me, Adam, and I agree this is an under-discussed topic, and I first have to give at least some credit to Corey Siegel from Dartmouth for at least raising this issue. He spoke about it a few years back at one of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation advances meeting and helped to bring it to the forefront. So you're absolutely right. I think that travel in general, especially these days, can be difficult, and having a chronic gastrointestinal illness with potentially embarrassing symptoms and difficulties reaching to bathrooms and things like that, I think that the best advice that I can give, at least to start, is just to plan ahead. So you really want to make sure that you're at least discussing with your doctor the trip that you're planning. If you're planning something local within the United States, I think that that's less an urgent issue, but certainly if you're going to be doing foreign and ideally, particularly if you're doing any sort of exotic travel, then you really want to talk to your doctor first. I think some kind of early things to think about would be developing some sort of travel pack with you to take, whether that's antibiotics for potential traveler's diarrhea, steroids, over-the-counter anti-diarrheal type medicines, and then I also think just regular things you may want to have in case you're in a place without a bathroom that you may be used to, so things like your own toilet paper or wet wipes, hand sanitizer, bottled water. I think the IBD population also has potentially its own things that can come up. So if you have an ostomy, you certainly want to make sure that you're packing ahead of time and preparing. And I think as far as the medication standpoint, the things you really want to make sure is that you time your trip around your medications. I recommend patients bring enough medicine to get them through their vacation and ideally at least a week beyond that in case there are issues with getting back into town. You don't want to be stuck in some foreign place without your medicines that have kept you well over time. So I recommend planning ahead. Meet with your doctor. I think a pre-travel council visit is certainly a reasonable thing to do and often encourage my patients to schedule with me for that. Yeah, I think one thing I'll add to that is make sure you do it early enough so that if you need to get special approvals or special medicines, that it's not like two days before you go on the trip, right? Yes. You mentioned some of the medicines that I think might be useful, having potentially antibiotics, rescue pack of steroids, and things like that. What about patients that are taking self-injectables? Can they get them ahead of time to get extra? Do they travel well? Do you have to do anything special? Excellent questions. You know, I think mostly the injectables are what you're talking about there. And yes, you can get proper documentation to be able to bring any sort of injectable with you. Some of them will even provide you refrigerated-type packs that you can pack with you and take with you. I do recommend in those cases not only bringing the medicine but also including a sharps container or something as a way to safely dispose of those needles that you may have. And I think with any medicine that you're bringing with you, it's important to bring proper documentation from your doctor's office, the name of the medication, the way that it's supposed to be given, the frequency of when it's being given. I know personally I have 
prescribe medicines to patients who, for example, have gone abroad for a semester, and we are able to get special exemptions for patients ahead of time to be able to get them the medicines while they're gone for the prolonged period. As you stated, early is better. So let your doctor know. We all know how we have to run through insurance companies at this point, and it can be difficult to expedite those processes. So the earlier you're going to have these things come up, the better it is. I think for some of the infusion medicines, probably the best time to plan a vacation would be shortly after an infusion. I think that most people will feel better shortly after an infusion and maybe dwindle in the efficacy towards the end of the cycle, and so maybe earlier after an infusion would be a better time, especially for foreign and exotic travel. Have you had circumstances where people are traveling like for a semester, for example, and they have to get an infusion in England or in wherever? And are there sort of any tricks on how to manage that? I Another good difficult. question. <laughs> I think that those have been a bit more difficult. Depending on where the person is going, sometimes I've had a contact actually in those areas and have been able to help patients meet with that physician and then have it be ordered and provided there. Most of the time, the insurance is the limiting factor right. there. So a lot of times, unfortunately, if they're on infusion-type medicines, they've had to plan trips home around that time. Okay. So it's a little harder. Sure. Let's talk for a sec about vaccinations. I think we talk about it a lot when you're here in the States, getting the proper vaccinations, influenza, pneumonia, et cetera. What do we have to think about when you're traveling to an exotic place about what's okay to get, what should be gotten, what's okay for immunocompetent or immunocompromised patients? Good. Yeah, those are excellent questions. So, you know, fortunately, there are travel clinics that are available. Most of them are run by infectious disease doctors who are well-versed in the patient who is immune-suppressed and those that aren't. You know, in general, for patients who have or are immune-suppressed, we generally recommend avoiding live virus vaccines. And that may be the only limiting factor on where you choose. And so the vaccinations are actually driven by where a person is going to be visiting. And I think the biggest vaccine that we run into trouble with is the yellow fever vaccine. So there are places around the world where you actually need to have documented immunity to yellow fever in order to even go to those countries. That is only available as a live virus vaccine. And so I think IBD patients who are immune suppressed may have to think twice when they're looking at that particular vaccine. The remainder of them, I think the hepatitis A vaccine is certainly an easy one to get and really should have before you go on travel. It's usually a gastrointestinal type illness, and most IBD patients, that's the last thing they need on top of that. But the majority of the other vaccines that are required, depending again on where you're going, are perfectly safe, and patients should be able to mount an appropriate response to those medications or vaccinations. Great. Awesome. So a few more things. So one question is about blood clots. So we know IBD patients are at higher risk of getting blood clots in general. They're sitting on a flight. They're going 12 hours somewhere. What can they do to try to prevent that? So I think this applies not only just for flights, but also for long car rides or even bus rides. So as you said, IBD is a chronic inflammatory state and puts you at a higher risk for blood clots. And so when you're taking these prolonged trips and prolonged travel, you are at risk for those even more so. So, you know, I think simple things that you can do is just get up and move around. So even if it's uh, for every hour, even if for five minutes, you're getting up, you're walking to the bathroom, you're at least getting up, getting the blood flowing and getting things moving. 
if you can't get up, there are also exercises you can do. Something as simple as what they call seat marching, which is what it sounds like in that you just kind of march in place. That'll get some of the blood returned from the lower extremities back up into the body. There's also ankle and calf flexion and extension exercises that can be done. The whole goal is really just to keep the blood moving. And I think the same is true for car rides and bus trips as well. So if you're going to take a bus trip, make sure you have one with a bathroom. Same with a train ride. And I think for car trips, some good advice is probably to stick to main roads. That when you start to take scenic routes, it's going to be harder to find places with a bathroom. Most highways these days have bathrooms, rest stops, restaurants, what have you, to be able to get off. Yeah, for sure. Very reasonable. And I think, you know, obviously now with the ease of having the internet at your fingertips for anyone, it's somewhat easier to find a bathroom or plan your trip in such a way that you're sort of have a sense that there's something close by. That's right. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was travel insurance, which wasn't something that we necessarily had planned. But I think, you know, it makes sense if you're a sick patient and you're doing not so great, maybe not the best time to travel unless you got to for something. But say you're doing okay, you plan a trip, and then you get sick. Have you had experience with people canceling their trips as a result, providing documentation? Do you recommend travel insurance? What do you think about that? You know, I think it depends on the trip. And so I think that if you're really going to make a big investment, and this is a big trip, then yes, I do actually recommend patients to get travel insurance. Now, if you're driving to Atlantic City from Philadelphia or something like that, where it's an hour and a half car ride, you know, and getting a hotel, I don't know that I would say to do it for something like that. But if I were, you know, recommending a patient who's, say, traveling to the Far East, then I certainly would recommend going ahead and getting the travel insurance. There are ways to get parts of your money back and things like that without the travel insurance, but often is a huge hassle, takes a tremendous amount of work and effort, and then you may not be fully reimbursed. The nice thing about travel insurance is that you will be reimbursed fully, and then you know you may be losing the trip and the time, but at least you'll have the money to schedule it again in the future. Right. Awesome. Well, look, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to chat on this very important topic. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. The preceding episode was brought to you in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. If you have missed any part of this discussion or to find others in the series, visit ReachMD.com slash foundation.